he was one of the greatest preachers ever. His sermons were Christ-centered. He loved to display the gentleness of the Lord in his messages. He loved to comfort people when he preached, not beat them up. He loved the gospel. And he lived over 2,700 years ago. His name is Isaiah, and there's a really big collection of his sermons in the Bible. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 42. The book of Isaiah is in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with the Bible. If you find the book of Proverbs, go to the right a few books, and then you'll land in Isaiah. Isaiah lives about three houses down from the book of Proverbs. In fact, if you just dropped your Bible on the ground, God in his mercy might just open it to Isaiah. It's right in the middle. And Isaiah's name is what our Advent series is all about. God saves sinners. So we're taking a break from 1 Kings, and we're going to spend the next four weeks in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah's name means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. In case you're new to grace, when I say Yahweh, I'm referring to God's covenant name in the Hebrew language. His name is Yahweh. So when you see the word Lord, and it's in all capitals in your English Bible, that's the English translators letting you know that in Hebrew, the original language that the Old Testament was written in, in Hebrew, the all caps Lord is God's name, Yahweh. So the caps lock Lord in your English Bibles in Hebrew is God's covenant name, Yahweh. I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. So Isaiah's name then means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. It comes from the Hebrew word Yeshai, which means to save, and also the first part of the name Yahweh, Yah. In fact, the name Joshua is related to Isaiah's name. Joshua also means Yahweh saves. But wait, there's more, just like those old commercials. Jesus' name in Aramaic, Yeshua, is a form of Joshua. So guess what the name Jesus means? The Lord saves. Yahweh saves. A fitting name for our Savior. It seems that when the angel told Mary what to name her baby boy in Luke chapter 1, it seems like he was on to something. Jesus means the Lord saves. In Hebrew, Isaiah is pronounced Yeshayahu. In Hebrew, many names have this ending like Isaiah, the the ending Yah. And I know this is exactly what you wanted for Christmas, right? A, A Hebrew lesson. Well, here you go. You get it. Lots of names and words end with Yah, the shortened form of Yahweh in Hebrew. For instance, hallelujah means y'all praise Yahweh. So hallelujah means y'all praise, and Yah is the shortened form of Yahweh. So hallelujah means y'all praise Yahweh. Or the name Zechariah. Zakar, the Hebrew word zakar means to remember. So Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. And here's what's interesting about the shortened form of God's name, Yah. 
the shortened form that's at the end of Isaiah's name. It's actually a term of endearment. The late Old Testament scholar Alec Motier says that Yah, the shortened form of God's name, is a term of endearment, a term of love, a term of affection. For instance, the name Yah is used in Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. If you, O Yah, your English Bibles just say, O Lord, I don't know why. If you, O Yah, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so commenting on this verse in Psalm 130, Alec Motier said, The use of the diminutive of endearment, Yah, is especially significant here. Yahweh is at his most loving and most loved when the sinner comes for forgiveness. And that's what we're going to be celebrating during Advent. So during this Advent season, let's ask, let's be bold. Let's be crazy and let's say, God, would you capture our hearts again? Would you capture our hearts during Advent We're going to be celebrating the wonderful truth that God saves sinners. We're going to see that Jesus is at his most loving and he is most loved when the sinner comes for forgiveness. God is most loving when he saves sinners. And he is most loved when sinners come to grips with the repulsiveness of their sins and they run to Jesus to be saved. And that's what we're going to see in our Advent series. And that's really what's at the heart of the incarnation. God says to us, as Ray Ortland says, I'm better than you think. You're worse than you think. Let's get together. Advent is an invitation to get together with God, regardless of how messed up we are. That's good news, isn't it? Because some of y'all are really messed up. And so am I. But it's true. He's better than we think. And we're far worse than we could ever imagine. And yet, he wants to get together with us. Wow. That's what Advent is all about. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 42. In Isaiah's prophecy, there are four passages that scholars call the servant songs. And in these passages, Isaiah is telling us about the Messiah, the anointed one who would come and save his people from their sins. And we will discover that Isaiah is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the servant that we'll be looking at over the next four weeks in these servant songs. And today... Through the prophet Isaiah, God will invite us to leave our idols behind. God will invite us to dump our idols, to break up with our idols. And he will say to us, behold my servant. Today, God is speaking to you personally. And he's saying to you, have you considered my servant Jesus? Come check him out. Come and get a good look at him. And if you do that, if you follow Isaiah's lead, if you let Isaiah take you by the hand, you'll find your heart being set free. If you follow Isaiah's lead and you behold God's servant, 
you'll find yourself laughing and dancing a lot more this Christmas season. And who doesn't want more of that in their life? Who doesn't need a little less stress at the beginning of Advent? How about going into Advent and into the Christmas and holiday season, how about going in a little more relaxed and a whole lot trusting Jesus more? Sounds good to me. That's what I need. So Isaiah chapter 42, beginning in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Now, notice the word behold there in verse 1. This word in Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word hene. It's used all over the Old Testament. And when the authors use it, they're actually inviting us into the scene to observe something, to see it with our own eyes. That's the Hebrew word here, hene. It means come here, enter into the scene. Get behind the camera if you want to and observe with your own eyes what I'm talking about. Get a load of this. Come and check this out. And Isaiah has just used this word, hene, or behold, back in chapter 41, to invite Israel to see that all the idols that they were trusting in could not save them. Listen to how Isaiah calls out their idols. Isaiah totally embarrasses their idols here. Check this out. Isaiah 41, verse 24. Behold, you are nothing. Isaiah is saying, come and look, your idols are nothing. Isaiah 41, verse 29, behold, they are all a delusion. Isaiah is telling the nation of Israel, come here and check this out. See it with your own eyes. Your idols are nothing. They're a delusion. And then after calling out Israel's idols and totally roasting them here, Isaiah is now saying to the nation of Israel, come here and check this out, guys. Unlike your idols, God's servant will set you free. Here's a servant unlike any you've ever known. Here's a leader unlike any you have ever dreamed of or imagined. The servant, this servant, is not full of himself. This servant doesn't need hashtags to do ministry. But why does Isaiah invite us to look at the servant? Because back in chapter 41, Isaiah said that God was going to raise up the Persian king Cyrus to be his servant. And Cyrus would come and trample and destroy people and nations. But the servant here in Isaiah chapter 42 would not be like that at all. Jesus would not come and trample people like Cyrus. Instead, Jesus would come and bring justice. He would deal tenderly with bruised reeds and flickering wicks. In fact, Matthew quotes Isaiah 42.3 in his gospel about Jesus being gentle with bruised reeds and flickering wicks. Matthew quotes that when Jesus is healing the sick. Jesus is gentle with broken and bruised people who have been beat up by life, who have been beat up by their sins, 
who have been beat up by the idols that they have been entrusting in. But notice in verse 1 how much God delights in his son Jesus. Jesus always pleased the Father. Jesus never sinned, not once. He perfectly obeyed God's law. And that's why he says here, my soul delights in this servant. And that's good news for us. Because of Jesus, just as God said these words to Jesus at his baptism, because of Jesus, God the Father says to you today, Christian, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Crazy, huh? God is well pleased with all of his children. God will say this to you on the day when he returns at his final advent. When you stand before him and God says this to you right now, Christian, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. You see, once we belong to Jesus... We are the Father's delight. We get caught up in the Isaiah 42 verse 1 delight that God the Father has for his son Jesus. So let me ask you a question this morning. What do you think God's face looks like when he sees you? What do you think God's face looks like when he looks at you? When he looks at you after the week that you had? Is he frustrated? Is he frowning? Is he disgusted? Not if you're trusting in Christ. Not if you belong to Jesus. If you are trusting in Jesus alone to save you, if you are trusting in his life, death, and resurrection, then when God looks at you, you know what? He smiles. He smiles. He's full of joy when he sees you. And that's why the gospel is good news because you were pretty bad this week am I right and so your answer to this question what do you think God's face looks like when he looks at you your answer to that question will set the trajectory of your life and it will determine how you experience God during this advent season how you answer that question will change your Christmas Because God delights in Jesus, because God delights in the Isaiah 42 servant, then if you are in union with Christ, because you are trusting in what Jesus has already done for you, then this is true of you right now. God is overwhelmingly pleased with you, Christian. Overwhelmingly pleased with you right now. Wow. I mean, isn't that incredible? Holy cow. The gospel is really good news because we were all really bad this week. And if you weren't really bad, just read the Ten Commandments. Okay? Check, check, check. Yeah, probably broke them all. So what kind of God are we dealing with here, Grace? We're dealing with a God who, as the prophet Zephaniah says, rejoices over you with gladness. He quiets you with his love. He exalts over you with loud singing. You bring a smile to his face. I mean, imagine that. 
you bring a smile to God's face. In spite of your sin, in spite of your failures, in spite of how you never measure up, God is overwhelmingly pleased with you, Christian. You live in the unabated delight and favor of God. So believe that this morning and rest in that truth and just breathe. Take a moment and just breathe. You are forgiven. You're loved and you are clean, Christian. You're clean this morning. And it's all because of the servant of Isaiah 42. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because, as Isaiah tells us in verse 1, God delights in his chosen servant. Tim Chester says, adopting us as his children is not merely the Father's duty, it's his pleasure. God sent Jesus, the Son, by nature, so that you could become a son or daughter by adoption. But God wasn't finished. It's not enough for him to make you his child. He wants you to feel and live like his child. It's not enough for you to hear that you're forgiven this morning. It's not enough for you to hear me say to you, Christian, that you are forgiven. That's not enough. You need to feel it. Really feel it. And if you don't feel it, you need to pray, God, help me feel it. God, rub this truth into my pores. God, please come and capture my heart again. That's when you begin to get traction. That's when you begin to change. That's when you begin to grow. That's when you begin to be transformed, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. It's as you behold God's glory in His Son. It's as you embrace who He is for you in His servant. In this non-accusatory environment. That's where you grow in a non-accusatory environment. When you feel loved, and then you begin to live like it. It's God's pleasure to adopt you into his family. But it doesn't just end with adoption. He wants you to feel loved and to live like his child. And when you don't feel loved, and when you don't feel forgiven, and when you don't feel adopted, and who hasn't been there, then do what Isaiah is telling you to do here in verse 1. Behold my servant. When you don't feel clean, when you feel dirty, when you feel ashamed, when you feel condemned, God says to you, come here, get a load of this. Check out my servant. Take a good look at him. Have you seen him? See him now dying in your place for your sin." And when you get a good look at Jesus and you slow down enough to check him out, Isaiah also tells us this wonderful truth about him in verse 1. He says, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Isaiah is telling us here that Jesus would be anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring forth justice to the nations. Now what's interesting here is this word justice is used in Exodus chapter 26 verse 30 to describe the drafting plans of the Mosaic Tabernacle. It's used to describe the architectural plans drawn up by the Lord and given to Moses. So what does that mean? It means that God has a plan for humanity, a plan for His creation. It means that He knows what is best for us. It means that all of that 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done business is going to happen because this is God's plan to bring justice to the nations, to bring the gospel to the nations. But not only will the servant usher in justice, how he will do it is important and so countercultural to us. Isaiah tells us that in bringing heaven down to earth, Jesus wouldn't seek or desire fame. How countercultural to us. Isaiah says in verse 2 he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. So as Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God through his ministry, he was not out to make a name for himself. And we see that in the Gospels, right? Jesus will have none of that make a name for yourself business. Jesus doesn't read books on networking. Jesus doesn't read books on marketing. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with being a celebrity pastor, a celebrity rabbi. His way is the way of the invisible behind the scenes, doing the ordinary and the mundane. Jesus, surprisingly, doesn't need a hashtag in order to do ministry. He doesn't need social media in order to do ministry. It's not his way. Jesus didn't take pictures of himself serving at the soup kitchen, and then post it to social media with hashtags like, hashtag Jesus serves, Hashtag soup kitchen servant. Hashtag no likes, no retreats, retweets, no hearts, then no soup for you. That's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of the kingdom. Hashtags are not the way of the kingdom. I'm not saying you can't use hashtags. We all use them. I use them. But this is not the way of the kingdom. Zach S. One gets at the heart of the Isaiah 42 servant when he says that Jesus is fame shy. Jesus seemed drawn not to the spotlight, but from it. Disciples and friends had to search. He wasn't tweeting. His blog lay unattended. His email responses were not immediate. Where they often found him was alone and in desolate places praying. In fact, it seems that just when Jesus was at the right place at the right time and the opportunity to advance his work through greater celebrity called out to him, he intentionally allowed the call to go to voicemail and disappeared for a while. See, Jesus is not like us. Think about this. Jesus did ministry without social media. What? How? How can you do ministry without social media? Ask Jesus. See, Jesus is not like us. He doesn't need likes in order to do ministry. He doesn't need his name and lights. That's what Isaiah is getting at here. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice in the street saying, please, somebody notice me. Somebody just validate me. Like my posts. Retweet me. I need hearts. Jesus is fame shy. And we should be too. Listen, if we're going to follow Jesus, we, the servant of Isaiah 42, we have to come to grips with the fact that Jesus is not interested in helping us make a name for ourselves. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of the Isaiah 42 servant. 
Jesus is not interested in helping us make a name for Grace Baptist Church in this city. He's not interested in making us the most popular, the most talked about church in this city. He's only interested in his glory. Isaiah tells us that in verse 8. I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Jesus will not share his glory with us. He will not help us make our name great. He's only interested in helping us make disciple-making disciples who glorify him. So Jesus does not come alongside us to help us build our own little kingdoms or to build up our resumes. I mean, that very idea makes Jesus throw up. It nauseates him because his way is not the way of numbers, not the way of figures, not the way of crowds. His way is the way of the invisible, the mundane, the ordinary, the behind the scenes. Why? Because Jesus actually cares about people not winning a popularity contest. He's not like us. I mean, if we're honest, and we should be because we're Christians, right? If we're honest, we love to have our egos stroked, don't we? We would love for someone to publicly stroke our ego and go on and on about us. And then we respond with something like, oh, stop, really. Stop. (laughs) Please stop. We wouldn't run from this fame stuff. We would relish in it. We would steer conversations so that they continue to be about us, not Jesus. And he wants nothing to do with this. Jesus did not come to make a name for himself. Jesus wasn't looking to get an official blue check mark next to his name on Twitter. He's verified. He came, as Isaiah tells us in verse 7, to be a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring prisoners out of their dungeons, and to set free those who sit in darkness. And so Jesus teaches us that the really sweet spot in life and ministry is being alone, away from the spotlight, and with our Father in prayer. It doesn't get any better than that. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus got away from the crowds because he knew that obscurity and being alone with his Father is what he needed. This is how Jesus was empowered to do the ministry that Isaiah describes here in chapter 42. As he says in verse 1, God put his Spirit on him. And that's how he was enabled to do what verses 5 through 9 tell us that he did. Look at, verses, look at verse 5. Thus says the God... Thus says God, Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out of the prisoners, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am Yahweh. That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. See, Jesus was able to bring justice to the nations because the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
Jesus was able to do what he did through his ministry because as verse 6 says, the Lord held his hand and kept him. Jesus himself was given as a covenant, Isaiah says, through his life, death, and resurrection to make atonement before our, for our sins because the Holy Spirit was upon him and God the Father took him by the hand. And so in his humanity, Jesus was dependent on the Spirit. And that's why Jesus got alone to pray all the time. He could not fulfill his mission as the Spirit-anointed Messiah. He could not fulfill his role as the Isaiah 42 servant on his own. He needed to pray. He needed to get away from the crowds And so Jesus got away from the crowds because he knew that obscurity and being alone with his Father is what he needed most. And it's what we need most. It's what we need most on the first day of Advent and then all the way through this Christmas season. So this Advent season, will you get alone with him? God says to you, I'm better than you think. And you're worse than you think. But let's get together. Will you get alone? Will you get together with God this Advent season? Understand this, Grace. Obscurity is the sweet spot of ministry. Being alone, away from the crowds is where we find rest. Being behind the pulpit preaching is not the sweet spot of ministry. For some pastors it is. Being alone with Jesus is the sweet spot. It's where our hearts get recalibrated as we spend time with our Father. It's where we find meaning, really find meaning. Meaning is not found in how many followers you have and how many likes you get and how many retweets you get and how big your church or ministry is and how awesome you seem to be in the eyes of others or in how awesome you seem to be in your own eyes. Meaning and purpose is found in being in a relationship with God. It's about the reality of being in union with Christ. It's about being adopted into God's family. Meaning and purpose is not found in hearing people praise you. Let me say that again. Meaning and purpose is not found in hearing people praise you and go on and on about you. Now, we all long for that, right? We do, we long for that, we want that, but that's empty and it will leave you empty every single time. Meaning and purpose is found in giving God glory. Meaning and purpose is not to be found on social media. Meaning and purpose is found when you hear God say to you, behold my servant. Meaning and purpose is found when you get alone with God. When you open up his word and you get a good look at him, when you check him out and you are set free from all of your enslaving idols, when you behold God's servant, that's when you really start to live. Behold my servant are some of the most beautiful words in scripture. If you're broken, if you feel like a loser, If you feel like a nobody, if that's you, then this invitation from God to look upon Jesus is everything that you need right now. 
Listen to how Isaiah describes how caring Jesus is in verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Jesus gently handles bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks. So what are bruised reeds and what are faintly burning wicks? Bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks are the perfect imagery for weak, wounded people. When Isaiah speaks of the bruised reed, he's not thinking about a sturdy tree branch or, or a stem. He's, it's, it's a reed. Reeds are flimsy. Reeds are weak. They're breakable. A reed in Isaiah's day was vulnerable to every puff of wind or pelt of rain or every careless passerby. The reed was always at risk of being crushed or trampled on. And Jesus takes up the cause of the fragile, the frail, and the vulnerable reed. He cares for it. He's gentle. And it's the same with the smoldering wick, the the faintly burning wick. Isaiah means that the fire has nearly gone out. It's just barely there. Just the spark remains. It's weak. It's wavering. It's exposed. The slightest little breath just would snuff it out. Maybe that's how you feel this Advent season. Maybe you feel like you're so weak that a little puff of wind would do you in. Or maybe you feel like your fire is about to go out. Your candle is just barely flickering. Can you relate to that? Do you feel like a bruised reed? Do you feel like a flickering wick? Well, now insert the servant of Isaiah 42 into the picture. Insert Jesus into what's happening in your world, into what's happening in your heart. He's gentle with the bruised, damaged reeds. He comes to the rescue of the faintly burning wick. He sees the little spark that has almost all but disappeared and he loves it and he determines that it will not be snuffed out. He will guard it until it flames up again. He will not let even a small puff of air extinguish you. He creates this non-accusatory environment to help you thrive again. He's gentle and he's close to the broken heart. And Advent in the Christmas and holiday season has a way of digging up those hurts deep in our heart, don't they? Because we miss people, loved ones that are gone. And so it brings this sense of brokenness. Justice hasn't fully come to the world yet because Jesus hasn't come back to make all things new. So there's this brokenness that we feel, this sadness, this, this heartache. And Jesus is close to the brokenhearted, to those who struggle with the holiday season because they miss family and friends that are gone. Or they live somewhere else, across the country or across the world. Jesus is close to those people. Commenting on Matthew 12, 20, where Matthew quotes this passage in Isaiah 42, the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, Herein is grace and graciousness. Herein is love and loving kindness how it opens to us the compassion of Jesus. So gentle, tender, considerate. We need never shrink back from his touch. We need never fear a harsh word from him. Though he might well chide us for our weakness, he rebukes not. Bruised reeds 
shall have no blows from him, and the smoldering wick no damping frowns. You see, Isaiah 42 is all about the first advent or the first coming of Jesus. That's what advent means, coming. It's about the first advent, the first coming of Jesus. Jesus came to show mercy to bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks. And that means then that no one is useless. No one is too far gone. Jesus delights to show mercy to the down and out, to those who feel useless, to those who feel like they're just too far gone. Those are Jesus' kind of people. Isn't that great? The down and out, the losers, Jesus looks at them and says, I picked them for my team. The guy who's going to get pecked last, I'm going to pick him first. Why? Why does Jesus do that? Why doesn't he choose the, the movers and shakers of this world? Because those kinds of people, broken, losers, feel like they're too far gone, useless, those kinds of people have nowhere else to go. They have idols, and their idols have left them beat up and bruised. All these things that they've been trusting in have left them empty. They have nowhere else to go. Their idols have actually betrayed them and then left them devastated, broken, beat up, and empty. Their idols have left them blind and living in dark dungeons. And so when Jesus comes to rescue them, when Jesus has mercy on them, they take no glory whatsoever. They give all glory to Jesus. Just like Isaiah's audience. Have you been beaten up by your enslaving idols? Those things that you've been trusting in, hoping if I get that, I'll be happy. And then when you get it, you realize you still feel empty. Do you, you, like Isaiah's audience this Advent season, do you feel beaten up and broken by your idols and betrayed by your idols that you just invested everything in your life in and they betray you? If that's you, if you feel condemned this Advent season, God says to you, behold my servant. If you feel unforgiven, God says, behold my servant. If you feel unclean, God says, behold my servant. If you feel broken and all alone, God says, behold my servant. If you feel like God doesn't care, God says, behold my servant. If you feel like life is bewildering, as Advent begins today, God says to you, Behold my servant, Jesus. And life can be bewildering, right? The holidays have a way of doing that, don't they? Well, this week, Beth Moore tweeted something about how bewildering life is sometimes. She said this, No matter how bewildering life gets, it's never long till... Once again, I'm had by the goodness of the Lord. So if you feel condemned this Advent season, be had by the goodness of the Lord again. If you feel unforgiven, look to the cross 
and be had by the goodness of the Lord again. If you feel unclean, you feel dirty, you feel that just sense of shame that's like wearing wet clothing, you just can't move and be set free, look to Christ crucified for you and be had by the goodness of the Lord all over again. And if you feel broken and all alone this Christmas season, look to the servant of Isaiah 42 and be had by the goodness of the Lord. If you feel like God doesn't care, remember, He's near. He cares. So be had by the goodness of the Lord. And if you feel like life is bewildering, be had by the goodness of the Lord. Be taken with Jesus again. You can start over today, friend, right now. Just look to Jesus and you can just start all over again. You can be had by the goodness of the Lord. Look at God's servant and really start to live again. God says to you today, I'm better than you think. And you're worse than you think. You really are. But hey, let's get together, shall we? So today, why not say back to him, would you please capture my heart again? Capture my heart again. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are so gentle with us. You care you love us. Would you capture our hearts again, Father? During this season of Advent, Lord, would you cause us to get alone with you? To get to that sweet spot of intimacy with you, reading your word, spending time with you in prayer, opening up the scriptures and, and having you open your heart up to us. Would you cause us, Lord, to turn away from fame and, and notifications and hearts and things like that that we gravitate to, to, to feel like we have meaning and value and purpose. And would you help us to realize that knowing you is the sweet spot of life. So capture our hearts again this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.